Thank you for joining us this morning. Enough of the advertisements for everything this morning. Let's dive into God's Word. And um, I would just invite you um, to pray for Pastor Paul. He is, uh, his family's been battling sickness, and his dad had emergency surgery, and he's working through the details with care for his dad and, and those sorts of ideas. So um, he was actually planning to speak today, um, but here am I. So I would... I would invite you to uh, I would invite you to pray pray with him. I know that he has a lot on his plate and that he's trying to balance with those things. So um, this morning we are going to continue in our book in in our book in our series on Acts, our series in the book on book of Acts um, called the Church in Motion, the Church Unhindered. And as we're working through the book of Acts, we are looking at characteristics of a church in motion. So characteristics of a church in motion. And so we've looked at characteristics like the empowered church. We've looked at characteristics like the devoted church, um, the church on mission, the courageous church, the church that sees, the church that changes. And today we're going to land on the church that multiplies. The church that multiplies. The church in motion is the church that multiplies. And um, this morning, if you are just joining us in our series here, and we're picking up, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a catch-up here. The book of Acts is actually tells the story of the birth of the church. It contains the stories of how the church started and how the gospel spread around the world. And I don't believe it was ever God's intention to send His Son to the earth to live and die as a spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world, to bring the good news that Jesus is the Messiah and that He is the payment of sins and that the people, sins of people, and the sins of people who would, who would forever believe in Him. I don't believe it was ever God's intention for that to happen and it to stay in the city of Jerusalem. See, see, God's intention was what He says in John 3.16. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life. And we see it in the Gospels where Jesus gives the Great Commission and He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them what you have seen and what you have heard. And earlier in the book of Acts, we looked in Acts chapter 1 and it said, it said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What are, they, what are we witnesses of? What are the disciples witnesses of? Of what they have seen and what they had heard. The Gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus paid the debt for our sins and provides us with a new life. That He paid a debt that we owed. He took our sins upon Himself and made us righteous in the eyes of God. That we are seen pure and holy in God's sight. God's intention all along was that through the church, multiplication would take place. That through the church, you and I, the multiplication would take place. So the church in motion is a church that multiplies. And this morning, we're going to answer the question, how does this take place? How does this take place? And when we use the word multiplication, just for, for clarity here, we're looking at, we're talking about multiplying believers or adding believers to the church or the church is growing or people coming to Christ. That is, when, so when you led somebody to Christ, you've multiplied. Like, think about that. Like, it's a multiplication that takes place. And... Um, this morning, you know, often whenever, you know, I preach, we have like points and we walk through like two or three, you know, perfect sermons, three points and illustrations for each point and scripture verse. This morning, we're actually going to develop one main point together as we look at this passage in Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter eight. So we're going to actually develop it together and um, come up with this, come up with the main point or the big, the big thrust this morning together. So, um, 
So if you would turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 8 and verse, we're going to start in verse 1 this morning. And uh, you might say, Pastor Rob, I've been joining this series and uh, you're skipping over chapter 6 and 7. Well, let me bring you up to speed, okay? So chapter 6 and 7 is where persecution begins to happen against the new believers in the, in the New Testament church in Acts, right? Um, it's a, the, primarily the story of Stephen and how he stood fast in the midst of persecution and ultimately was, was killed for his, for his faith. And chapter 8 starts with what happens as persecution moves from one person, Stephen, to the church at large, to all the believers in Jerusalem. And, and in, in reality, it was persecution against the church that led to multiplication. It really was the persecuted, the persecution that was coming against these new believers that ultimately led to the, to the church multiplying and people being added to the church as the, as the people went out from Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So this morning we're going to answer the question, how did the church multiply in the midst of persecution? So Acts 8, verse 1. And we're going to carry this through, chat, through verse 25 this morning. So I hope you have your seatbelts on and you're ready to rock and roll. You good? You ready? Okay, here we go. And Saul approved of their killing. Now, I think, uh, I think we need to stop right there. And Saul approved of their killing him. They're talking about Stephen. So we're carrying over from chapter 7. This is the end of chapter 7. And, and, Paul, Paul, and Saul is saying, you can, you know, I'm approving of you killing Stephen. So, that is where we're, we're picking up. And we, pick, we keep going. and It says, on that, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. So Stephen's martyrdom sparked an outbreak of mass violence against Christians. And it says, and all except the apostles. Now, it's an important detail. We're going to come back to that. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So think about this. People were in Jerusalem. Persecution comes. And they scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. So they're moving outwards from the city of Jerusalem. And it says in verse 2, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Stephen's martyrdom, right, his execution, really got to Saul. Because if you in chapter 7... Stephen, like, preaches this awesome message. Like, if you go back and read it, he preaches, like, it's actually the longest message just recorded in the book of Acts. And he preaches this awesome message. And, and so Stephen's execution really got to Saul. And so Saul responded with frantic violence against the church. Because sometimes, you know, that's how people respond when they're under conviction. Right? When you talk to them, sometimes they respond, they lash out against you and even against the church whenever they're under conviction. So let's keep moving. In verse 4, it says, Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, side note, Philip is a layman. He's a church attendee. He just, he's an he's a everyday believer who's going to church. He's a lay, lay person. So Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I'm going to stop right there at verse 8, and we're going to start to develop our main point this morning, okay? So, I love what this passage does, because I believe these first eight verses really gives a pattern 
for evangelism for us as a church or for you as a believer, to reach those people who are around you. And so as we look at this pattern, we're going to look at some phrases used in these first eight verses to develop our main point this morning. So the first phrase I've taken from, from verse 4, and verse 4 says, those who, have been, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And what I love about that is it's those who had been scattered. They were just those people. They were ordinary people. Everyday, everyday Christians, if you were to think about it. Like, they were those people. So the church multiplied through ordinary people. It didn't name somebody there. It didn't say the apostles. It says those people. So ordinary people. So as we build our big idea this morning, we're going to start with this first phrase. It says, God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. The author here, Luke, makes the point that the first time, get this church, the first time the, go- the gospel left Jerusalem was through ordinary people. Unnamed those, right? Not through the apostles. Luke intentionally noted that detail, that those who left carried the gospel with them outside of Jerusalem. And I think that oftentimes, as believers, we don't feel as if we're qualified, or if it's our job, or we think that if someone else has more experience in their faith, that they should carry the gospel to, you name it, your city. So maybe your family, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood. And when we look back at the first century church, the first time the gospel expanded beyond Jerusalem was through the mouths of ordinary people, not the apostles. I believe this is the Holy Spirit's sign for how the Great Commission is is going to be accomplished. The Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. I don't believe it's going to be achieved through a few anointed apostles or by great evangelists or by great pastors or teachers or speakers, but it'll happen when every believer, filled with the Spirit, testifies to the gospel in their city. In your city, you can replace that word city with your home, your family, your workplace, your schools, your neighborhood. Sometimes God takes us to these places, whether it's our our work, our school, maybe it's a, a specific town God is calling you to. He takes us there, you know, as a career in ministry, right? But sometimes He moves through normal life circumstances, believe it or not. Sometimes He uses our normal life circumstances to to get us to the place where He's called us to be a light, to share the Gospel. So, the next part of our phrase that I want to add to this morning, God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances. And their life circumstances. For the New Testament church here in Acts, it was persecution. That was their life circumstance that they were walking through. In the previous, cha- it was it was persecution. In the previous chapters, where we see the story of Stephen, who was persecuted for his belief in sharing the gospel, and Stephen's persecution was a catalyst that brought persecution to the whole New Testament church. Their life circumstance, persecution, forced the believers out of their comfort zone in Jerusalem and into a place where they would share the gospel. It says that those who went out preached wherever they went. They shared the word where they went. 
Now today, as believers in America, you know, we're not facing persecution like the first century church. Like, I'm not afraid I'm going to get stoned when I walk off, walk off the platform this morning at the end of the service or anything like that. We're not facing jail time for sharing the gospel this morning or, or anything like that for our beliefs. But for us today, your life circumstance may not be persecution, but it might be where your job takes you. Some of you travel for work. Some of you, you know, where's your job taking you? It might be it might be real life circumstances that you're walking through right now in your family, in your job. What circumstances are you facing today? Because that's exactly what, what God wants. That's exactly what God wants. He wants to use your life circumstance. He wants to use you, ordinary people, in your life circumstance. You know, we have good news because as we talked about before in Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power and you will be my witness to testify of what... God is doing in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're looking at this story here in Acts. Guess what? In Acts 8, Acts 1, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. In Acts 8, we're in Samaria. Right? Like, we're in Samaria here. Acts 8 is, this is where Acts 8 is taking place, is in Samaria. And when we look at verse 5, it says, Philip, guess what? Philip wasn't an apostle. Philip was an ordinary person. He was a lay person in the church. And he went to Samaria. Philip, an ordinary person, empowered by the Spirit, was a witness in Samaria. It's amazing what God will do when you yield your life to Him. And you're prompted to put your trust in Him. He promised that He would put the words in your mouth when you don't even know what to say. So as we add to, our, add to our main point this morning, God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the Gospel. That's what Acts 1.8 is all about. So Pastor Rob, how do these ordinary people accomplish His mission to spread the Gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because we're going to look at that next. In verse 6, it says... When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. They all paid close attention to what he said. I want to stop there and add one more phrase to our big idea. They heard and they saw. They heard and they saw. Word, I'm going to use the I'm going to replace they heard with the word word, right? The word they used, he used words and deed. They saw what he did, right? They saw the signs that, that he did. So God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish his mission to spread the gospel through word and deed. In verse 7, it says that lame were healed and impure spirits were cast out. So Philip brought both spiritual and physical deliverance to the people in Samaria. And I believe that our witness should always contain these two things. Should always contain word and deed. In verse 6, it, they, it says they paid close attention to what he said, which was the gospel. He shared his testimony. He shared scripture. He shared what he had heard. He was a witness to what he had heard and what he had seen, right? As he walked, as he was a believer in the church, what God had done in his life. He shared that. That was his, his word. And his deed, in verse 6, they, call, they said signs. And I want to pause here for a moment because a sign always points to something, right? Like if we can put the picture up on the screen here, 
If you see this picture somewhere, what does this mean? Hospital, right, right. So you see this, like, it doesn't have to actually have the word spelled out. Like, it's a sign, right? Hospital, that that way, that way. On the back screen, it's that way, that way. Hospital, that way. A sign points to where the hospital is. The hospital is this way. The sign and miracles pointed to the gospel. They gave a tangible expression to Jesus' physical kingdom. His kingdom was one of healing, sight, freedom, and not magic tricks. Miracles in the Bible did not show the fact of Jesus' power, but his redemptive purpose. You know, in my life, I've seen miracles take place. I've seen, if you want to call, say, call signs, of, of, I've seen people who were a person who with a handicapped hand be completely restored and healed and watched as God straightened out their arm and they were miraculously healed. And, the, and in the same service, many people came to Christ because God used a supernatural power to reveal His redemptive power. I've also seen people come to Christ through food distribution, meeting a practical need because God used His supernatural power of, of how He empowered the the, the believers to share a practical need to prove his redemptive power of them of people following Jesus. Or even just stopping to have a conversation with somebody because you felt like God was telling you to stop and have a conversation with somebody and let them know that God sees them in the midst of their circumstances. God's power, supernatural power, working in the believer to bring redemptive power into that person's life. In our lives, God uses the situations we walk through to reveal His redemptive purpose. It may not always be a miraculous healing at your job, but it may be that, you know what? You didn't know how you were going to make ends meet this month, but God provided a way. That's a testimony of His redemptive power. Or, I was struggling in this situation at work, but God stepped in and opened the door for, this, for you to be able to share the gospel with the person that you're working with in that project. Or even more practical than that, I sat at lunch during the leap and had lunch with a student and it opened an opportunity for me to share my story and provided an opportunity for me to share the gospel with a student. Those are how God uses the situations, our life circumstances, where we're at, to spread the gospel through word and deed. At your work, who are you having lunch with? You know, if you're a student at your school, who are you working on projects with? So as we're building this big idea this morning, we have God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed. I'm going to add one more piece to this this morning, and then we're going to move on from verse 8. And the last piece I want to add is to bring joy. The last piece is to bring joy. God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. And in verse 8, the end of this section ends with this verse, and it says, so there was great joy in that city. This is a piece of this scripture when I read it this week that super convicted me. Right? Is there much joy in my city, in my world, in my home, in my workplace because of my presence? As the church, do we bring joy to our city because of our presence in this town?
God used Philip to bring great joy to Samaria. Are you committed to bringing joy to your city, to your world, to your home, to your workplace, to your school? See, I think what's interesting here is that Philip was a Jew. He was a Jew from Jerusalem. And Samaria was full of Samaritans, right? Yeah. Crazy how that works. Jews, Jerusalem, Samaritans, Samaria. And Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And if you remember, even in the book of John, when Jesus was passing through, he stopped by the well where, where there was this woman, and she basically, she, he's, and he's having this conversation with this woman at the well, and, and she basically said, why are you even talking to me? She said, because Jews and Samaritans don't associate with each other. Like, we're not even supposed to be talking to each other because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Jews would add an extra day's journey to their travel to go around Samaria to get from, 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 from where they lived to Jerusalem. The Samaritans would attack Jews on their way to the temple in Jerusalem as they maybe tried to cut, shortcut through Samaria. Samar- Samaritans even built their own temple and said that the temple in Jerusalem wasn't the real temple, that their temple was the real temple. And there's all sorts of fighting and retaliation that took place, and the Jews ultimately destroyed the Samaritan temple. And I, I looked at this as I, I was reading this, and it's like it's almost like two sports teams, right? Like two rivals. Um, I don't know what your rivals are around here, but like two rival teams that are going at each other. Like, like there was hatred, and there was there was there was there was like some real like retaliation that took place in, between these two. Except for people died about over this. It's not like a football, high school football game where like people aren't dying because of a rivalry team. But people, people died. And the hatred was deep. So here's a Jew, Philip, being embraced by the Samaritans. And when they believed, there was much joy in the city. So I think there's something here that the Gospel creates a unity that overcomes years of hurt and mistrust. A unity that we as people long for, but are powerless to accomplish in our, in our society. So whether it's relationship tension, racial tension, political tension, it doesn't matter. The unity that we need in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, the unity that we need is not found in you know, great speeches or awesome books or politics it's not found in anything that we can bring to the table. It's found solely in the gospel. Because the gospel identifies one problem. Our sin and our need for a Savior. And when the gospel is the focus, guess what? Guess what? There will be much joy in your home, in your city, in your workplace, in your school. See, the Samaritans and Jews had to leave behind the past. They had to put away the mistrust. They had to set aside their preferences and embrace Christ. So the big idea this morning is a church unhindered is a church that multiplies. How does that multiplication happen? How does the gospel spread? It comes down to one thing. Through you and through I. God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy.
That's our main point this morning. That's where, we're, that's where we're landing with that piece. God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. So now that we have our main point, remember that I said we're going 25 verses? We've only gotten through eight, guys. It's a fun ride through the first eight, right? So we still have some more to cover. So let's jump back into the Scripture here. So now that we have our main point, I believe in the next story that we see in Acts chapter 8, we see two warnings to everybody who participates in God using ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. There's two warnings that, that, that Luke gives us. I believe that if we look at the next story that we see, so, we're going to read the next story together. Verse 9 through 25. It says, Now for, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Now, this is the same city that Philip is in. So, let's, just so you're aware, same city, not a different city. Same city in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. I love that, I love that phrase. He boasted that he was someone great. He was a self-proclaimed great guy. Red flag. Hello. Okay, let's keep going. And all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Remember who called him great? Himself. Yeah, he called himself great. Like, red flag again. The self-proclaimed Mr. Wonderful, and they didn't seem to notice that at all. Verse 11 says, They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Now, I want to just give you a little bit of background here. Like, the sorcery that they practiced wasn't like card tricks or like magic tricks. It was like scientific knowledge combined with superstition and sleight of hand. And I I think, trying to figure out like in our modern world, what would this be like equivalent to? It would probably be equivalent to like... um, People who put their trust in horoscopes, um, crystal, who use crystals, or claim they saw Jesus' face in grilled cheese and sold it on eBay for a buy it now price of $10,000. That's probably what, that's essentially like in our modern day what this would be equivalent to. Did this guy have actual powers? Well, if we look in the book of Acts, there's a possibility that he did have actual powers because in Acts 13, Paul said, Paul came across a guy who was in the practicing the same sort of stuff. And Paul said he was filled with the devil. So there may have been some occultish power here. Let's continue reading. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, isn't that something? The self-proclaimed great guy that people were following, now, all of a sudden, something's different because this guy Philip is here. There was something different about what Philip did. There were no tricks. There were genuine miracles. And they pointed to a message beyond the greatness of Mr. Wonderful. They pointed to a Savior who could forgive their sins and heal their souls. Now, let's move on to verse 14. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers, but new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was 
was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And stop right there, just for a time period kind of idea. Like, in this time period, magicians or sorcerers would sell their secrets to each other. Right? So he's essentially like selling Peter and Peter Peter and John here. He's saying, Hey, like, let me buy that secret, that secret sauce. Like whatever that secret potion is, let me buy that from you. Moving on to verse twenty. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and are captives of sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. The church in motion is a church that multiplies. Multiplication takes place through you and I. We form this big idea that says God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed. And in these last two verses, these last few verses, there's two warnings. The first warning is be 100% all in. Be 100% all in. Simon is a guy who wants Jesus in, in his life, but didn't want to give full control to Jesus. It said, it said in verse 13, he said, Simon himself believed and was baptized and followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Simon believed and was baptized and even traveled with Philip. He watched. He was, if you want to say, he might have been discipled a little bit by Philip. And I believe there are a lot of people who believe and even get baptized, but never become disciples. One of my former pastors um, that I worked for said this. He said, there are many people who are professors of the faith, but few disciples. Many people who profess faith, but there are few disciples. I think that Simon genuinely believed in a sense that he and, and was persuaded that Jesus was the Christ. But I think the problem was, and I think it's a problem that we see in many of um, many American believers, that he believed in Jesus and Jesus and his magic, Jesus and his agenda, Jesus and his platform. And I believe that people today have a very much have a very similar attitude. They have a Jesus and me conversion, meaning that I'll follow Jesus, I'll follow what Jesus says, I'll let him be an influence in my life, but I reserve the right to exempt myself from things that I don't want to believe or I don't want to do. Many Christians today would say, I don't believe what the Bible says about X, Y, and Z. As if the Bible is a book of suggestions of and spiritual best practices. Church, be 100% in. If you're 99% committed to Jesus, you're still 100% in control. Because ultimately, you decide which 99% He gets to be in charge of. And you can change the terms at any time. If we're going to be a church that's a church in motion, a church that multiplies, it's 100% or nothing. God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. God uses ordinary people, can we add in there, who are 100% committed to Jesus to multiply His church. Take the warning. If you're here this morning, 
and you've only surrendered 50%, 75%, 85%, 95%, you either you either have given Jesus you either haven't given Jesus full control, you either give Jesus full control or you haven't given him any control. For some, it may be Jesus and other gods, other things in your life that you worship. For others, it may be Jesus and some other piece of your life that you're not allowing Him to touch. Maybe it's family, material things, finances. The true gospel demands everything. The cost of being a disciple is take up your cross. It says in the the Gospels, to deny your mother and father. To give up everything in this world and and give complete control 100% to Christ. Simon is a guy who wants Jesus in his life, but didn't want to give complete control to Jesus. Warning number one, be 100% all in. Be a true disciple. Warning number two, it's not about you. It's not about you. In Simon, we see a man who wants to, who wants to be in the spotlight and gets envious when he, he no longer is. We also see a man who thinks he can purchase the power of God with money. He believes the power of God comes from him and his ability to purchase it. And it exists for him to direct the spotlight back to him. Does that make sense? So it's all about him. But it's not about you. It's not about the spotlight of how many people you've led to Christ or what God is using you to do. It's about Jesus and the spotlight belongs to him and him alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It is by grace, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. It's not of yourself. It can't be purchased and it can't be earned. It's a gift of grace so that no one can boast. There's nothing you or I can do to make multiplication happen other than put the spotlight on Jesus. Does that make sense? Nothing that you and I can do other than put the spotlight on Jesus. If you really believe the gospel, I don't think we would want the spotlight directed at ourselves because there's nothing in us that can help anyone else. There's nothing that I have to offer that can help anyone else. We should want others to see Jesus. And we are simply the road sign pointing to Him. Right? We're that hospital sign going, He's right there. Come this way. I'm going to ask Trish if she would come this morning and play for us. I... A church in motion is a church that multiplies. Multiplication takes place by God using ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. And this happens when we are 100% all in and we realize that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about this church. It's about Jesus. So we finish out with verse 25. You guys are happy we're on the last verse. Verse 25, it says, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And the gospel went forward unhindered. The gospel went forward unhindered. Are you committed to proclaiming the gospel in your city, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, In your world, in your neighborhood, 
because as we formulated the last, the la- as we formulated, our main idea this morning is that we see in the scripture is that God uses ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish His mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. It's about humbly surrendering 100%. And when I think of someone God used to fulfill His mission, when I think of someone who was all in, when I think of someone who realized it wasn't about Him, but it was about a greater plan, I think of Jesus in the Scriptures. And there's not a place for me that I feel more humble than at the foot of the cross. And this morning, maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I would encourage you to surrender your life to Him. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to take 100% control of your life. Maybe you're here this morning and there's areas that, you know you know what, Pastor Rob, like I'm 99% into this thing, but there's still 1% that I'm holding on to. Or there's 2% that I'm holding on to in myself. This morning, it's time to surrender everything. It's time to surrender everything. And this morning, we're going to respond by taking communion together. So if you have, if you have your elements with you, if you want to go ahead and, and get, those, get those out, and um, if you need if you need elements, uh, Brian is in the back. He can he can help you get those. We're going to respond by taking communion together because communion is a remembrance of the good news of the gospel that Jesus died on a cross, and when he died on that cross, he took with him our sin, he took our unrighteousness, and made us righteous in the eyes of God. Then he rose from the grave for us to have a new life through him. That we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to that 1% that we don't want to surrender. But we have a new life in Christ. Freedom in Christ. When we're 100% in. That He took our unrighteousness and gave us righteousness. Communion also celebrates the unity of believers. See, I believe that a church in motion, a church that multiplies is a church that is unified. And this morning, if you would take these elements in your in your hands this morning, and um, can I actually, Brian, can you throw me one of those real quick? Yeah, sure. I lost it in the lights. <laughs> it's, the, it's the lights. I lost it. I was like, oh. So... When we come to communion and we, we hold these hold these elements in our in our hands, it's a time for us to examine our lives. Are we one hundred percent in relationship with Jesus? Are we one hundred percent surrendered to Him? And the next question might be even harder to answer. Maybe you can say, "Yeah, I'm that." But are you in unity with other believers? Are you in unity with the body of Christ? Remember that the Samaritans had to put behind their mistrust. They had to put behind them the acts of violence that was brought against them by the Jews in order to embrace Philip and to and for there to be joy in their city. Are you unified with other believers this morning? This morning I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11. And it says that a person ought to examine himself. So we're going to take a couple of moments here. 
for you to examine your heart this morning. How's your relationship with Jesus? And how are your relationships with other believers this morning? Go ahead, if you would bow your head, just close your eyes and meditate on that for a moment. Do a little inventory of your heart. this morning, we invite you into our lives. God, this morning, I surrender the pieces of me that I may unaware be holding on to. God, I give you 100% control of my life. I lay surrendered at the foot of the cross this morning. Jesus, would you freshen our relationship with you? God, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you forgive us of the things that that we've done that have prevented us from being in, in a perfect alignment and relationship with you this morning. God, would you reveal, let your Holy Spirit reveal to us the relationships maybe that need to be mended in our hearts or in our lives. Would you reveal to us the conversations that maybe need to take place. God, that we are in uni- we are in unified as believers this morning. May your Holy Spirit shine the shine His light into our lives and show us the areas that we need to lay before you this morning. We thank you, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and it says this. It says, For, the, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is this is my this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray over the bread this morning. Father, I thank you for your broken body. Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken to provide relationship with you. We remember the stripes on your back, on your that was taken for our healing this morning. We remember the death that you died on our behalf. A death to pay for our sins. And Jesus, this morning as we take of this bread together, God, we're reminded of the sacrifice that you paid on our behalf. Jesus, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together, church. reading on in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, it says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's pray over the cup this morning father I thank you for your blood that was poured out as a new covenant that no longer do we need to sacrifice animals for the payment of our sins, that you paid a debt once and for all, that all who would call on your name would be saved. And thank you for your blood that covers my sin, my unrighteousness. Thank you for your blood that makes me righteous in the eyes of God. And as we take this cup this morning, God, we are expectant of your return. As a unified body of Christ, body of believers this morning, 
we look forward to the day that we will, we will be with you. We will reign with you forever whenever you come again. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the cup this morning. church, it's because of the cross that the church was formed. And God, we're going to add one more thing to our phrase this morning, and God continues to use ordinary people and their life circumstances to accomplish his mission to spread the gospel through word and deed to bring joy. This is how the church in motion, the church unhindered, continues to multiply today. This morning, I'm going to invite our prayer team up. And if you would join me, stand with me this morning. And um, I'm going to invite our prayer team up. And if you would like prayer, they'll be here to pray with you this morning. Um, Our worship team is going to lead us, lead us in a song. You know what, church? Like the altars are open. Like we have a little bit of time this morning. We're, you know, I wasn't as long-winded as some people who preach up here. And um, so this morning, these altars are open. I want to challenge you. Are you taking time to spend time in God's presence? You know, we're in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're a weekend, but have you? are you doing it? Are you being intentional with it? This morning is a great opportunity for you to be intentional with your time and spending time in His presence. So the altars are open. If you want to find a place in this room, that's, that's, that's fine too. Um, if you need to leave, we just ask that you would leave quietly so that those who wish to stay can stay and spend time in His presence, receive prayer if they wish to. So let me pray with you this morning. Father, we thank You for Your redemptive work on the cross. We thank You that You use ordinary people like us and our life circumstances to accomplish Your mission of spreading the gospel through our words and deeds. God, let us bring joy in every place that we set our foot. This week, may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit to share your good news, to be a witness, to testify of you and your goodness to those around us. Let us not miss an opportunity this this week, Lord, but let us see each person as we encounter them through your eyes. We surrender our lives to you. It's not about us. It's all about you. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.